Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The killing of Qasem Soleimani and Iran's reaction to it is the first really big news story of 2020. So we'll do that typical podcast thing of a couple of guys sitting around venting a lot of opinions about something they don't really know that much about now, right? <laughs> I, think, I think that's probably not a good idea. Um, even though you and I, Jim, are not experts and have no idea how this whole crisis will turn out, I do think we have some things we can share with, with our listeners. As the former editor of Popular Mechanics, you call them tools. Questions, I would say. How to view the Iran crisis? We discuss. Breaking news tonight. The shockwaves from the U.S. strike in Iraq that killed Iran's top commander. A very tense start to this new year as tonight American B-52 bombers are now on the move and thousands of U.S. troops are being deployed to the Middle East. Iran and its actions overnight launching a ballistic missile attack on air bases housing U.S. forces in Iraq. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Richard, in events like this, you and I are kind of in the same boat as a lot of our listeners. We're not experts on the topic, but we are experts on how to sift and organize and look at information and how to do research. And even if you're just a news consumer, sometimes it's really helpful to use some of these tools. And that's what this show is going to be about. Yeah, Qasem Soleimani was possibly the most powerful Iranian leader after Ayatollah Khamenei. And the biggest question that we're facing now is whether the U.S. and Iran will blunder into war. But even though the whole situation is very fluid, the rush to judgment began right after Soleimani was killed. Uh, as Democrats condemned the action most Republicans supported, President Trump... So you can see people just immediately drop into their corners and they look at information entirely in ways that helps them support their viewpoint, either pro-Trump or anti-Trump. And our whole point on this podcast is to transcend that kind of thinking, to look at things more objectively, sometimes to accept when we really don't know things. And so in service of that, we've come up with seven tools that can help all of us look at fast-moving news events like this a little bit more clearly and not fall into that partisan trap. Number one, watch out for scare tactics. Yeah, you see this a lot from the left, this idea that, 
oh my gosh, this is terrible. This is a new thing. Now Iran's going to start killing Americans. Well, they've been doing that for a long time. That in itself isn't necessarily evidence that, that the Soleimani killing was a bad idea. The question is a lot more complicated. And just trying to get everybody really alarmed, like, oh, there are people at a funeral saying death to America. Well, they've been saying death to America forever. But on the other hand, you have scare tactics coming from the Trump administration. I mean, I, I don't buy this idea that there was an imminent threat as Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, said there was. It, it's so typical of this administration that they always exaggerate things, even when they could make an arguable case without the hyperbole. And, and, and you know, that's what makes this administration so frustrating, is that you can really never trust what they say, because it's all over the map. The fact is, you know, if Soleimani was planning or continuing actions that would kill Americans in two months, six months, a year, that's still a significant issue. Should it really come down to a question of was there a ticking bomb somewhere? But that that effort to simplify things and make the moral choices seem easier than they are is really problematic. And as you say, it comes from both sides. One thing to worry about, though, Jim, is that President Trump does have a weak national security team and that unlike several past presidents, including the first President Bush, Nixon and Eisenhower going back to the 1950s, Trump has very little foreign policy depth. Many career diplomats have resigned. He has no director of national intelligence no Homeland Security Secretary, no Assistant Secretary for Europe, no Navy Secretary, for instance. I mean, there, there are other vacancies as well. Yeah. On top of that, the whole management style is so chaotic. It's particularly worrisome at times like these. We're not counseling our listeners to say, hey, nothing to worry about. <laughs> but we are saying in times like this, it's even more important to try to keep an open mind and understand what's really happening because you're not necessarily going to get a clear statement from the administration or from the administration's opponents, unfortunately. Okay, so number two, just because Trump did it doesn't mean it was wrong. For liberals like me, that's our first thought. Oh my God, what did the idiot president do now? It makes us feel good to vent. But no president, not even Trump, is always wrong. I was a teenager, and President Nixon was loathed by many, but his opening to China was seen by historians as, as a brilliant and bold move. <laughs> Trump may be the most psychoanalyzed president in history, and his foreign policy is no exception. Before this drone strike that killed Soleimani, the conventional wisdom was Trump was all bluster and no bite. In the words of Bard College professor Walter Russell Mead, many believe that Trump's threats could be disregarded. He, he backed down, for instance, against Kim Il-sung in North Korea. And then after Saudi oil refineries were attacked last year, there was little U.S. response. Iran shot down a U.S. drone and, and President Trump decided not to retaliate. But now that theory about Trump has been shot down. All right, on to number three, broaden your sources. I follow a lot of really interesting people in social media who fall outside of your usual kind of New York Times, Washington Post circle. For example, I like to follow people in social media who don't always fall in your, your kind of standard list of Washington Post, New York Times, CNN experts. Um, 
One is this Iranian dissident named Amashi Alinejad. She's in, in exile now, but she has spurred this movement in Iran for women to very publicly take off their headscarves as a form of protest against the repressive religious rules of the Iranian government. And she's a very passionate opponent of the regime. And she tweeted just the other day, for many Iranians, Soleimani was a warmonger who caused massive casualties in Syria. He was no hero to average Iranians who chanted against the country's support for Hezbollah and Hamas. So hearing a perspective like that from someone from inside this country we know so little about to me is really useful. And it's not necessarily just that you listen to people that are on the other side from you all. I think that's useful. I'm more conservative. So I read Mother Jones, for example. I think they do some really good work. But it's also helpful to follow people who don't stand along the traditional continuum at all. Uh, another one is Majid Nawaz, the, the, the British writer and thinker that we've had on our show, who's a, a former Islamic extremist who's now a very passionate critic of, of extremism. And I follow these couple of people on the far, far left. They're so far left that they're critical of the left. Caitlin Johnstone, half the stuff is kind of nuts, but sometimes it's really brilliant. It's a different perspective. And I follow Matt Taibbi, the Rolling Stone writer and, and who writes for others, who also comes at things from a very left-wing perspective, but it gives him an independence from the conventional wisdom. And I think we can all use more of that. It's something I do, Jim. Every day I read the Wall Street Journal editorial page, and, and very often I strongly disagree with what they're saying, but I find that it helps me sharpen my arguments. So let's move on to tip number four. Don't take protests at face value. You know, big crowds shouting death to America make for dramatic video. But in Iran, they've been yelling the same old slogans for more than 40 years. Arab Spring, back in 2011 and 2012, looked great on TV, but most of those vast protests came to nothing. I'm old enough to remember the overthrow of the Shah in Iran. U.S. experts were way more surprised by the huge upsurge in support for uh, Ayatollah Khomeini in 1979 than they, than they should have been. In my experience as a former foreign correspondent, Washington is often the worst place to view global events. And going back to what you said in number three, broadening your sources, it's sometimes a good idea to look at, at what foreign media are saying. But also, you know, when you talk about not taking protests at face value. That goes here at home, too, or in Western nations. Right after the Soleimani killing, you know, there were protests hitting the streets across the country saying no war with Iran, supposedly just spontaneously generated outpouring of anti-war sentiment. It turns out a lot of those protests were organized by this group called the Answer Coalition. A lot of people might remember them. They led a lot of anti-Iraq war protests. Yeah, and, and what's their background? Well, this is what's so interesting. They're typically described just an anti-war group. In fact, they're really a spin-off of like this old school left-wing group called the Workers' World Party that was set up in the 1950s to support the Soviet invasion of Hungary. Now, this is ancient history, obviously, maybe not that relevant, but these protests are not always as spontaneous as they look. You know, in all cases, just because people are carrying signs and shouting doesn't necessarily mean that they represent a massive groundswell of public opinion. 
Number five is listen to the silence. You know, opponents of the U.S., from Russia and China to Iran and others, will, will howl at, and have howled at, at what's happened with the Soleimani uh, drone strike. But if other major powerful Middle East nations and, and also uh, European countries are either silent or, or cautious and circumspect, that may be more telling. Oh, couldn't agree more. I mean, yeah, what are we hearing from Egypt? What are we hearing from Saudi Arabia? What are we hearing from Jordan? The Iranian regime is not beloved in the Middle East. And what Soleimani was doing, which was so frightening, he was, he was, he was extending these client militia groups, Hezbollah, Hamas, all over the region, and really trying to create something like a shadow empire that yielded military and political power. I mean, they turned Lebanon into virtually a client state of Iran, funneling huge amounts of armaments in there. So just because there are these angry protests, as you say, doesn't mean there aren't a lot of people quietly pleased that the situation has now changed. What I'm going to be really interested in, Jim, are, are two developments from the Middle East. One, uh, whether this strengthens the position of the hardliners as opposed to the relative moderates inside Iran. And, and that will only be known in time with, with future elections. And then also in Iraq, uh, will the threat or the call by the Iraqi parliament to remove all U.S. forces in Iraq be followed through? And could this have a, a really devastating effect on the continued fight to keep ISIS from, from reviving in Iraq and other parts of the Muslim world? Uh, those are certainly things worth looking out for, but the answer won't be obvious, I think, for a while. Which brings us to number six. Beware of simple answers. You know, you just mentioned the, the situation with ISIS. Well, in effect, we were actually on Iran's side in fighting ISIS in Iraq and, and Syria. Um, so it just shows you that the it's such a complex, dynamic political environment there. And looking at it through our kind of ideological lenses from here in the U.S. is really, really counterproductive. Yeah, the Muslim world is deeply split between Sunnis and Shiites. Uh, one side, uh, the Shiites, are absolutely furious. But uh, what about the Sunnis? How do they view this crisis? That is not quite clear at the moment because when it comes to Iran, uh, there are large parts of the Middle East. You've mentioned Egypt and Saudi Arabia. There are also the other oil powers of Kuwait, the United Arab Emirates, who, are, who see Iran as an enemy and as a provocateur. Uh, the terrible war, for instance, both in Syria and in Yemen were largely the result of actions by Qasem Soleimani and uh, the Iranian military uh, stoking up uh, uh, paramilitaries uh, in these countries. Without Soleimani on the stage, Iran may have been weakened. Well, that's certainly the goal. But, you know, you mentioned the, the, the Sunni-Shiite divide. Even that can sometimes be used is an overly simplified way of understanding events. I mean, you'll hear people say like, well, of course, the Iranians are Shiites, so they would never support a Sunni terrorist organization. But in fact, they have. It's, it's complicated. Simple answers are almost never the right answer. And 
you know, sometimes we just don't, we just don't know. And that's, that's the point of our tip number seven. I call it embrace the wisdom of, I don't know. <laughs> you, 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 the way you phrased it, I think on our, we do, we do a little outline for these shows and the way you uh, summarize this tip was embrace nuance, humility, and skepticism. Yeah, be aware of what Donald Rumsfeld once called the unknown unknowns, which is the idea that uh, we know the known unknowns, <laughs> but there are sometimes things that uh, we don't know that we don't know. In other words, true surprises. And that's very often true of the situation in the Middle East. Things happen that, that are totally shocking, not only to us, but to people whose job it is to be experts and to, and to know what is supposed to happen next. I'm going to introduce a really interesting concept that I think is sometimes helpful in, in understanding when things do change rapidly in some of these areas. You know, you mentioned the surprise over the overthrow of the Shah back in the 70s. A lot of people were surprised by the rapid collapse of the Soviet Union a decade later. So the concept is something called a preference cascade. If you have a repressive society where people really aren't allowed to express themselves or there's great uh, penalties for um, for opposing a regime, you may think that everyone agrees with the regime. You may think that even if you live there, you may think your, your friends and neighbors are all kind of uh, in sync with the regime. But if cracks appear, you can get kind of an emperor's new clothes phenomenon where all of a sudden everyone realizes that, in fact, their neighbors do agree with them and that most people agree with them. And a change to remove a repressive government or at least challenge it can rise up with surprising suddenness. And I think it's it's sometimes possible even in a country like the U.S. You could argue that, that the, the Trump election was that kind of surprise movement where there was a strong sentiment, but one that wasn't widely expressed or, or heard among portions of the country that all of a sudden came out in, a, in sort of what to many pundits was a shocking way with the election of Donald Trump. Okay, Jim, so those are the seven tips to help our listeners and help us as well. So let's go through them again. Number one, watch out for scare tactics. Number two, just because Trump did it doesn't mean it was wrong. Number three, broaden your sources of information. Don't take protests at face value. And number five, listen to the silence. Gosh, we're getting almost zen here, Richard. And then number six continues that theme, beware of simple answers. And finally, number seven, I called it celebrate nuance, humility, and skepticism, but you said something different. Embrace the wisdom of I don't know. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. And I'm Richard Davies. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. Theme music is by Lou Stravinsky. We're a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. If you're interested in making a better podcast, then let us know at DaviesContent.com. And as always, thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.